And welcome to Beer and Bites, your regular digital and marketing and PR podcast, which is brought to you by Financial Services PR Agency MRM. You've got me, Amy Rowe, and you've got Michael Taggart. Take it away, Michael. Hello, listeners. <laughs> That's my radio voice. Yeah, I mean, you've taken it down a couple of octaves. Yeah, that's my radio voice. <laughs> Isn't that for Jazz FM? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so coming up, we've got a brilliant interview with um, financial advisor Victor Sachs. Sweet. All about Stop! All about championing consumer rights, as well as building up your own media profile from scratch. That's all to come. But first, we're going to be talking about a major spat that's been happening and rocking the world. Michael, what am I talking about? You're talking about who the new leader of the Labour Party is going to be in five weeks. No, guess again. Are you talking about Facebook again? We talk about that every week. Yeah, well, uh, Facebook, yeah. We're We're talking about Facebook, but there's a reason why we're talking about Facebook every week. Right. It's because... Facebook is taking over everybody's lives, quite frankly, and and most recently, it's been stealing advertising. Hang on, Amy, I just need to update my status. Yep, right, go on. (laughs) Put the phone down, just for one second. We're talking about the the most recent spat between Facebook and media organisations. Media organisations who say Facebook is stealing advertising revenue. Okay, I know that's something that you know a lot about, Michael. So, can you elaborate slightly on the la- the latest twist to this debacle? Uh, yeah, I do know a bit about this because, um, as I was reclining in my hammock in my back garden on Saturday morning, drinking a pina colada. Okay, we don't need to know about I, that. I was re- I was reading a bit about this in the weekend papers, and the th- the, th- the, th- the reason there's a new kerfuffle. Um, and we'll come back to this because it's a bit kind of um, it's a bit of a detail as far as I'm concerned. But there are news organisations leaving Facebook's new news distribution program, which I'll come to in a second. Um, but this is actually another um, stage in the big kind of fight that's erupting between the giants of the internet, the new giants, as it were. I'm basically talking about Google and Facebook and the old giants of the media, which are the news organisations. Now, what you've got to get your head round before we even start to discuss this is that people use the mobile internet now in increasing numbers. That's how people access the internet, and they access the internet on their mobiles, mostly via Facebook or or Google. Pretty soon, news organisations cottoned onto this. We're going to have to make it ready for Facebook and Google. So they could do that through advertising, either on Google ads, or they could do it through paid advertising on Facebook, or just by hoping their organic content performed well in Facebook's news feed or in Google searches. Uh, But obviously that that posed major problems. Um, We're talking even just a a few years back, aren't we? When Facebook essentially eradicated its... um, organic um, algorithm changed things dramatically and had publishers scrambling to try and get to the top of the news feed. So what happen- happened there? Yeah, well, anyone who's um, flipped through Facebook's n- news recently or the sort of news that does well in their news feed, as in they, they see it, mm. will notice that it's low quality. So you'll get venerable organisations like the Daily Telegraph producing um, items like the, 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 the 10 weirdest dreams had by Britons this week. Or, <laughs> or uh, sorry, my... my clickbait. Clickbait. Yeah. My examples are always terrible. Um, 
Anyway, so um, th- this is the sort of content that seems to be doing well, and it's yeah. it's the same on Google, and it's the rubbish, and it's not detailed investigations into the origins of Islamic terrorism. No, for and it's and it's isn't it skewed towards it's skewed towards clicks, which traditionally drove advertising. There's all sorts of when you consider mm-hmm. that a lot of this is just an example of how people are accessing news, but that. 89% of the growth of advertising revenue in the UK last year was um, advertising that Google and Facebook were doing and that a lot, an awful lot of news is part of that advertising that, peop- that it's organisations sponsoring posts and, and doing Google ads. What you, The picture that's forming is that people are, are getting their news in, they're getting lower quality news pimped to them by Google and Facebook. Mm. And that has a massive, massive or massive connotations to um, the quality of news globally. And the reason why I'm worried about this, Amy, is that there's a simple principle here that news, journalism, in fact, Mm. is a cornerstone of democracy. Mm. And if if it's crumbling, then democracy is crumbling. There is another aspect to this too, and that is not just that the quality of news is, is going down. But actually, local news organisations can't compete with these algorithms and these ad budgets. Yes, there have been alarming statistics, haven't there, on the number of uh, local newspapers that have had to shut down since 2005. Well, You've got to figure that out, something like 180. Uh, 100, yeah, 189 is the exact figure mm. in, in since 2005. And they're closing down because they can't advertise anymore mm. because all the advertising is going to Google and Facebook. Mm. Again, you might wonder... Who, I mean, who reads a local newspaper? Who cares? Well, actually, local news, even if it's in the modern era on uh, on websites, it is the foundation of all news. Mm. It is. If you need good, long, stroke, good, long, <laughs> good, strong, long stroke news, strong <laughs> local news, uh, you need that to, um, to not only to feed national news and to give national news ideas about what they should be covering, but you actually need it to help build and fuse vibrant local communities. So this is a terrible picture, Amy. What's interesting, I think, in the last week and why we're talking about it today is that finally we're seeing the tide turning, aren't we? The publishers are starting to say, hang on, no. I don't want to rent my audience off Facebook anymore, which is essentially what they've been doing. Um, I I want to grow my audience on my own platform and and um just getting sort of you you mentioned the this earlier i don't know whether we had talked about it in detail but instant articles the media partner program uh that facebook launched in 2015 has failed essentially we've had the guardian turn away from it um follow uh just right after the new york times said we're not doing it anymore and that's a really interesting one because facebook had said quite um, openly when it started that program, this this is actually going to help publishers. However, and, and I think this is something we talked about uh, last year, didn't we, Michael, on the podcast, um, with the Instant Articles Partner Program, uh, a user doesn't ever actually leave Facebook's app. Yeah, it's actually likely that listeners won't even know what the Facebook Instant Articles um program is although they may have noticed when they click on a news link it comes up much quicker Mm -hmm. than it would on it on say a google link now that that as you say is the program by which the biggest news organizations in the world have been placing their news on facebook you click a link it comes up really quickly but it doesn't take you to the the news organization's website not only that 
for my money, it takes you to a version of it which is worse. It loads probably loads a bit quicker, but it's really difficult to share content. And actually, news organisations are starting to think that these type this this isn't working for them either. M another major reason for that, probably the major reason, is that they're not be able to monetize by people clicking on ads. So it used mm. to be it, uh, that people used um, looked at uh, news websites on desktops rather than on mobiles. And actually, the click-through rate on desktops was quite high. It just isn't on mobile. So companies like The Guardian, as you rightly say, are thinking, well, why the hell are we doing this? Let's mm. get off it. And they, 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 they announced that they were going to leave the program, was it at the weekend or last week? Um, other news organisations will follow suit, mark my words. What, what, what are they going to do instead? Because we're still left, aren't we, with the problem of monetizing content online. If they're not using Google or Facebook uh, media partner programmes... What are they going to do? Well, I think the standout leading organisation here, the one to follow, is the New York Times. They're really doing well with um, getting people to pay to use their digital properties, their website, their apps, and what have you. Uh, in fact, they had 300,000 new paying users, subscribers, in the first three months of this year. And the Times and Sunday Times, if you want to look at the UK... Uh, again, an organisation I think to follow had 182,000, proving people are willing to pay for mm. online content. So Do you think they should give a cut to Donald Trump? I think Donald Trump should disappear. To he should build that wall and he should make it Trump-proof, but he should build it on but with him on the Mexico side. But correct me if I'm wrong. Donald Trump has um, saved publishing. I put it to you. Okay, you, you're wrong, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so Trump hasn't I'm said. just thinking about clickbait headline there. Um, but but in truth, that that is is that not why we're seeing this um, sort of surge in people actually being prepared to pay for once? It's a, you're absolutely right. It's about quality. So the word is getting out. We've had the fake news scandal on Facebook. So people are no longer confident that what they're reading on Facebook and Google isn't fake news because fake news seems to be able to cheat these algorithms. That's the first thing. The second um, big scandal is the fact that Google seems to have no qualms, and we covered this a few weeks ago, has no qualms about putting advertising um, next to re really bad, horrible, immoral videos, things like um, suicide bombers showing how to make bombs, mm. um, t uh, far-right Islamist clerics talking about how women should stay covered, all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's just another scandal, and p this, people are cottoning on. And they're realising that the best quality content is going to be in the owned properties of these media organisations. Now, this, the Times understands this. The New York Times understands this. And I wish the rest of the media would understand that. Uh -huh. So I think what you're saying is that some publications need to play their part. Um, one publication in particular, perhaps? Well, yeah, we've said it again and again. And, and I wish they'd listened to the Beer and Bites podcast a bit more intently than they do, because... It's it's the Guardian again, isn't it? Then they're yeah. they're they're a serious news organisation that isn't charging for content, which puts all the other serious 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 news organisations at a disadvantage. There's a big difference between both, of course. The Guardian isn't run for profit; it's effectively a charity. The others are trying to make money. So, for me, they've got to join together. They've got to be a united front, and they've got to start charging for content and start trying to make money out of it. Um, and if they do that, they'll win because you, you can't, um, if you're Facebook and Google producing this, can I say crap? It is crap. 
if you're producing this crap, you're not going to be able to, to compete with the Times and the Sunday Times producing really good content. But if you're The Guardian producing relatively high content and you're doing it for free, you're going to undercut everyone else. Right, we were lucky enough to have Victor Sachs as a guest on the show this week. Now, Victor is the web-savvy financial advisor from VS Associates, who says he's on a mission to strip away the technical jargon from financial services. Among other nuggets of wisdom, he told Amy and me why successful social media is like successful dating. So here's that interview for you now. Victor. Yes. Hello. Hello. Good morning. It's great to have you here. Thanks good to for be coming. Here. Um, so, Victor, just to kick straight off with um, with this, you've been quoted in the Advisor Press uh, and the National Press but for a number of years now. How consciously have you worked at building your your profile? I think it was always important to to try and build my profile within the industry, um, and using Twitter was a was a fantastic medium. For that, and it's great because journalists are always putting out hashtag journal request, um, and where I saw one that was financial financial services related, I was always trying keen to to get to get on it, um, and it became quite apparent to me quite quickly that financial journalists were interested in in my views and 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 my opinions. Whether that's because no one else was was coming to the party or could be bothered, I don't know, <laughs> but I was grateful to. To do that, and suddenly the next week in various financial press, I'd open up and read through it, and suddenly I'd be quoted. And was it a case of sort of once the door had opened, then you were getting people contacting you um, rather than you sort of going using that hashtag? Yeah, one, once um, a couple of items, I started responding to a, to, a, to a couple of items, then it seemed as though it was okay, when it was great for me, that financial journalists would actually email me and say, Victor, I'm running a piece on what's your thoughts about. And very quickly, those quotes from myself were, were appearing in, in the press. And why did you, because not all advisors do this, but there is a sort of um, maybe a hardcore of advisors who um, who are regularly quoted in the advisor press and then, and then they start being quoted in, in the national media. What made you actively seek it out? Um, as, I guess I, as a wannabe DJ of some of, of some point and, and always wanted to be involved with, with speaking or writing or, or, or having a quoted word at the end of the day, I don't know. I'm a I'm a salesperson, and a salesperson has to have a certain type of ego that go that goes with what they do, and they want their story to be told, and they value and they want their opinions out there, and um and I'm quite happy to be you know front and center and uh, uh and and give my give my thoughts and, and views, and it was just and I just felt it was another way of, of of building brand and reputation. Um, and it was just, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to do, and it, and it's great when, when that paperwork, when that um, quote ends up in, in the press. And your brand, Victor, is, if you, if you don't mind me saying, it comes across as a sort of a backer of the small person, someone who'll fight for the rights of someone who doesn't particularly have loads of power. You recently, um, there, there was that story about you. Um, getting 190 grand back for a, for a couple who've invested in an unregulated um, investment. Yeah. 
Is that the brand that you want to get across? Is that what you like talking about? It, it's it was a it was a great story. It was a you know a, a huge company that has a, a global presence, um, and I'd like to think any financial advisor out there who who looked at it, who saw it, and recognised that actually, you know, this, this is not right. Um, and I took it. It was a two year battle. It, it didn't take up every waking moment of my life. But it was a two-year battle, and it was it was worth fighting. And I think any advisor who saw who saw that would have done the same thing. We just spoke to Ros Altman, the former pensions minister, on the show, uh, and she had a, a long-term sort of battle as well, where she kind of, again, in a way, represented the little people. This was a people people losing their pensions. One of the um, the side effects she said of putting herself above the parapet was that she got shot down by trolls quite often. Do you have any interaction with trolls on Twitter at all? I'm not aware of anyone uh, coming out to me personally. Um, although there was, I think there was, there was, um, there was an issue I, I had once where is this where you were the troll? No, not not at all. I think I I voiced my opinion too honestly on Twitter in in terms of you know big gun strike or people striking whether in where they've got final salary pensions. And they're being asked to, and and you just knew the pension schemes were going to be trimmed or cut or ages reduced because they are an absolute fortune to run. Mm. And the people then go on strike or complain about, well, cutting my pension. And I tweeted, people, be aware of how good your pension is compared to the average person on the street. And I got shot to bits for 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 saying that. What did you get called? Um, nothing. Swear- this is a family show. No, so no, 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 no. Fortunately, nothing sweary. Um, otherwise, they would have probably got some industrial language back, and then that wouldn't have been good for me either. Um, but no, nothing. You know, I don't know what I'm on about. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just a, a fat cat financial advisor. Um, and and fat was you know I'm a big fella. I I, I accept that to some people I may appear fat. Um. It was, you know, you, you just take it. But that's what you notice with Twitter. The more followers you get, the more you're out there. There are going to be people that are going to say it. But I had a big mouth. So for you, it comes with the territory. And do you have, do you, would you say you've, you've, you've had to develop quite a thick skin or, or was were you always a bit more um, relaxed about that sort of stuff? It's, it, it, it came as a bit of a shock to begin with. But then the realisation that when you start looking at other yeah, other people that I follow within the industry um, and we've got similar followers and similar presence and bigger presences than mine in terms of media and everything else, you're there and you're good. There are going to be people that and generally they're the ones that don't tweet under their own name, don't put their own picture, profile picture up and they're, they're just, you know, on the prowl and having a look around and it goes with it. What's your favourite newspaper, Victor? Do you know what? If I'm really honest, I haven't read one for about um, seven or eight years. I, I take my daily feed. I'm very much interested, obviously, in financial uh, news, and I subscribe to um, magazines that publish their pages digitally. Um, you know, CityWire, etc., that will give me the feed that I need. An investment week, and I take my stuff from there. You don't. You don't have a pile of papers on the doormat on a Sunday morning. No. No, no, no. I'm a, a married guy with a five-year-old son, and my weekend time is my weekend time with with them. So, Victor, back to uh, so well, we've been on social media anyway, but actually, yeah. the marketing side of things. Yeah. You, you started off on Twitter. Yes. Um, we find LinkedIn um is is sort of a growing 
uh, of growing interest to a lot of our clients at MRM. Uh, is that something you, you've been using and or, or maybe generating leads yourself from? I started, I, I think... I think if, if I'm if I'm completely honest with myself, I I started off with 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 LinkedIn. Where at my previous firm, and I was I was working at HSBC. There was very much an encouragement of be on LinkedIn, but recognise whatever you're going to say, we're going to need to sign off before we allow you to put it out there. So by the time you got approval, you were basically posting fish and chip paper. Yeah. You know, it, it, the data was so was was already a week old. And a week in social media is a you know a lifetime. So when I became when I left and, and was able to to get on it, LinkedIn was the first place that I went to, and I and I harnessed and recognised quite quickly the the, the use of groups, um, working not only for financial advisor groups to build again build your reputation within uh, your industry, but also recognising that you know business clients and I work in that business sector of you know, people who employ up to about 20 people also had their groups and the Federation of Small Businesses had their LinkedIn group and, you know, and so, and so on and so forth and Chamber of Commerce had its group. So I started gently sort of filtering around in there, not saying much, comment on someone, like a post and then eventually boom and smash it in with, a, with an article that's been quoted or my thought on something to try and generate discussion. What's the principle there? Because you're actually starting to sound a little bit like the way that we would tell people to do, do this. I mean, and you, you said you sort of took, took tentative steps at first. Yeah. And then when you felt you had something to say, you said it. Is What, yeah. what are you thinking there by sort of that slow approach? I think I think social media is, um, and I, I'm, I'm one for, for analogies and, and always trying to associate things differently, Social media is dating. And if you have that concept, and if you are going to go out and, you know, meet, try and meet someone, then would you go in there, jump in the middle, flashing lights over your head, and go, hello, look at me. As some people do, and you'll get a laugh and, and everything else. But that's not what you're gearing up for if you're going to look for a, a long-term or build up some relationships. So gently nod in, see who's around, scout out the club, check out the personalities, have a look. Someone says something that's really good and, and, and you really genuinely like it, like the comment, step back, see what happens. Then if there's a thread that's going to involve your industry and you are on the money, on point, you know exactly what's going on, add the comment, add a few more comments to different posts, so people within that group are seeing you like and they're stepping on your profile. They're going to let you know that they're stepping on your profile. So LinkedIn's a really active tool that you know if you're being watched and monitored and looked at. And if you get enough people in that group that are, that are hitting on your, your, your profile, then you go, bang, hello, my name is, this is what I'm about. And if you've got any questions, you know, come and ask me. Uh, have you actually generated leads from companies doing that sort of thing? Yeah, not nothing. I'm not going to sit here and say, yes, I make my money from there and I don't need business from anyone else. But yes, there has been an interaction come back, especially as I was when I was posting around auto enrollment, workplace pensions. Uh, there were people who came back to me on a private message and sort of said, Victor, love what you're saying. We need to set this up. Can you come and have a chat with us? What about other um, outcomes from your social media use? Have you been asked to speak anywhere or anything like that? Have you, have you formed any other um, d 
deep and meaningful relationships that have helped you out? Yeah, very much so. Um, I got involved. Uh, there was um, uh, an event that was going on in York, unfortunately, due to uh, personal reasons. I, it, it transpired. I was unable to attend. It was right at the beginning of this year. But that's purely come on the back of someone uh, watching and listening that um, on uh, a Facebook group that I got involved with, Next Gen Planners, um, and also on Twitter liked what I was saying, liked the journey that I'd been on um, and wanted me to to, to be a speaker uh, and be one of the keynotes there. Victor, aren't you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't you on the radio at the moment as well? Yeah, I, uh, I do a, a, a monthly um, radio show on my local community radio, which anyone can listen to online, but for you know, it's it's in the locale in Huntingdon where Go I on, live. Give it a plug. What's it called? It's it's the brilliantly named HCR FM, and it's uh, on on one hundred and four medium one hundred and four FM in the uh, in the locale in Huntingdon. That's one hundred and four on your FM dial. Do you know what they've got some <laughs> they've got some serious tunes that go along those kind of lines, uh, and I do the fourth Monday of a month it's between seven and eight. Um, Talking generically, making sure people know, first and foremost, that I'm not giving advice, and then going about whatever topics are going on. Tune in, folks. Don't, so don't miss. Is that something that you found that came naturally to you, talking on a radio, compared to, you know, just the one of 140 tweets? Sorry, I'm laughing because Victor's mic has dropped. Not 140 um, tweets, characters. The radio show, uh, uh, you know, you said talking on the radio, just talking full stop I although I do say that I do use my ears and mouth in the proportions that God gave them to me uh, I'm very happy to ignore that and talk um the opportunity came I got me I got I met with the mayor of Huntingdon um who spoke to me about the fact he's got a community radio and we started talking and he said would you like to have a slot because that was as well as being the mayor of Huntingdon he also ran the local community radio station. So I got a slot, I sponsor it. Um, so a bit of dosh comes from VS Associates to them and I get an hour's worth of uh, radio broadcast, which I then um, take on a USB stick. And once my website is all brand new and shiny and spanking, I will upload the programs. Can I segue a little bit now? Yeah, go. I did ask you before the show if I could ask you who you were going to vote in the general election. Yeah. Who are you going to vote, Victor? Who am I going to vote? I'm going to vote for Conservative because, in my own personal view, there is no credible opposition. Uh, as I've said off air, Fallon had, the, to me, had that chance when Cameron resigned to, to stand up uh, and be that calming influence in the sea of disarray that was going on. He didn't, in my view. Hard Brexit or soft Brexit? Um, hard is the only way. Well, that's a bit of a rude ending, isn't it? No. <laughs> no, so that's just your mind. If we're going to go, if we, for the majority of advisors, I think went for, uh, my my 21-year-old daughter wanted to go for Remain. Um, I wanted Remain as a stability is what makes markets, markets work. Um, but if we're going to get out, let's get out. Victor, on that explosive note, um, we're going to have to um, wrap, wrap it up, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. And, and before you go, um, how can people learn more about you and what you do? Uh, feel free to jump on the website, which is www.vsassociates.co.uk, or you can follow me on Twitter, which is at SmartSax. 
And we're out of metaphorical tape. I'm just borrowing that line from one of my favourite podcasts, Media Masters. Anyway, uh, we, we are out of time uh, again this week, which which does happen. Um, so we'll have to say goodbye. Um, thank you for listening. If you'd like to follow the antics of Michael and myself, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm on Amy at at Amy L. Rowe, R-O-W-E, and Michael. I'm at 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 Michael underscore Taggart, T-A-G-G-A-R-T. That's where you can get us. Catch you later. Cheers. Yeah.